Well, we have to bring our teaching up to date, don't we? <laughs> um, the gates hadn't been put in place. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that the gates were all being built whilst the wall was being constructed. So the gates would have been being made uh, and put in position or ready to go in position, but they weren't there yet. And I, I don't think there's anything in that. Of course, they would have to build everything first. Remember, they started with the gates, the towers, and sort of joined them up, but they haven't yet put the wood in. And so for people like Sambalat, who are opposed to what's going on, this is, in a sense, is their last chance to get into Jerusalem while the going is good. Because once the gates are in place, it's going to be very, very difficult, and Jerusalem is going to be easy to defend. That was the whole point of, of this whole project. Uh, but it did just remind me of something I was thinking about a bit at St. Luke's this morning, and I often mention on the Alpha course when we're talking about the place of the Bible, and in particular, the place of the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, we know from what Jesus has said that none of this passes away uh, from the Old Testament. It is all absolutely relevant now. And the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments give us the boundaries, the boundaries within which we can live as Christians. Wouldn't it be a better society if actually the boundaries, you know, there didn't have to be the gates? You see, I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but the gates of the kingdom of God, you know, we, we, we spoke right at the beginning that we wanted open passageways for people to come into our churches. We wanted open doors. But in terms of our Christian living, we have to set boundaries because we, as representatives of the kingdom of God and church as representative of the kingdom of God, has to set boundaries because, like Jerusalem, we are in hostile territory. Oh, that we didn't need the gates. And that, as I was saying this morning, we could live our lives without having to lock our doors and without having to worry about things being damaged or stolen or people being damaged. If we, the whole of the world were living by the Ten Commandments, we would see the kingdom of God everywhere. And that surely would be a better place to live, wouldn't it? That would be a better place to live. And then we wouldn't need these boundaries, but we do. And we have to remember that as Christians, there are boundaries to what we are able to do and should do. I've been very struck this week. We, we, uh, Caroline and I had shared with us words from Psalm 91. And there are lots of promises in Psalm 91. But the main thing is that we are to dwell in the shelter of the Most High if we expect to be under the hand of blessing. I was saying for those of you at Bible of the Year uh, about Job on Tuesday that because bad things happen to us, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have sinned. That's one of the major lessons of Job. But if we deliberately don't dwell in the shelter of the Most High, then we are not going to receive his blessing. You know, it's only then that we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We have to dwell in God's territory, within his boundaries. And if we go outside of those boundaries then we remove ourselves partially and sometimes completely from God's ability, in a sense, to bless us. 
Now, that's completely different to saying if there's something bad has happened to you, it's your fault. It must be because of some sin. I mean, it may be, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. This is saying, how do we dwell in the place of blessing? And that's when we need the walls, and that's when we need the gates, because we have to be in the place where God is fully The places on this planet where heaven is able to touch earth, I mean, God is everywhere, but you know and I know that God is more active where his people are active. God is more active in a community if the church is active in a community. We have to be within the walls in order to be of use to the hostile lands outside. Later in the psalm, if you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. Again, it it is saying to us, if, if we say, the Lord is my refuge, if I'm willing to dwell within the boundaries, then no matter what happens, we receive strength, as we were saying right at the beginning of our service this evening. We need the boundaries. Now, those of you who know me know that that I'm not a a type of Christian leader that gives people a lot of lists of rules and regulations as to what they can and can't do, and I defend the right of anybody to come into this church. Now, if they want to be a leader, (laughs) then, then, you know, our lives are under a greater spotlight. But Anybody is, is, you know, we we should have open doors. And I don't like to give people lists of, you know, you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do that. Because I believe that you are grown-up people, we are grown-up people, we have the Holy Spirit of God and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. But we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us with an open Bible. And you see, if, if we are not prepared to dwell in the city within the boundaries, if we want to play outside, then don't expect God to be lavishing blessing upon you. So really, some quite important words, I think, contained in that first little bit. But now, of course, the opposition, Sanballat and Geshem, are really worried. And I'd be really worried if I had to wear a hat like that. (laughs) I looked up in... Google Images, and that was the most sensible one I could get of Sambalat and, and Geshem. I was thinking, did they really go around in bee- beehives in those days on their head? But, but there we are. Who knows? Who knows? Now they are really worried, as I said earlier. Of course they are worried. They, they have tried and tried and tried to derail this project, and it's nearly finished. And once it is finished, it's going to be very, very difficult indeed for them to have the type of control that they used to have over the people that dwelt in Jerusalem. Their money supply is going to be affected. All sorts of things are going to be affected, but most of all, their power is going to be affected, and they don't like it. And so here comes the final attack. Um, And it's a reminder. You know, we had attacks in Nehemiah 5, in Nehemiah 4. And sometimes, you know, when we're under attack in our lives, and you know, (laughs) sometimes when we're under attack, and then we manage to be victorious and the attack goes, we relax our guard. 
I'm, I'm sorry to have to give you this news if you didn't know it already. If you are d- determined to be a disciple of a Christ, then you will suffer attacks from now until the point at which you're promoted to glory. We've said before, you know, if you're not doing anything for God, then the devil's not bothered about you. But if you are, then he is. When we were in Germany, um, some of you know that Caroline and I spent um, five years in Germany. Uh, We were teachers with the British Army, or civilians, but with the army. We were on a state nearly all of that time that was called Amber Alert. We've got some military here. Um, And you you will know that there's a whole series of alert statuses. And I can't remember all of them, but I know that Amber was the second worst one because we were out in Germany at the time of the IRA problems, at the height of it, when they were attacking Germany, uh, or they were attacking British troops in Germany. And occasionally, the attack level would go to the highest, which was red, which meant there was intelligence that your base was actually going to be targeted. And that happened to us once in our time, uh, and, and it didn't, nothing happened, but we were on red alert. But all the rest of the time, we were on amber alert, and that meant we had to do things like check under our cars, uh, all of that sort of thing. I, I may have said all this before. Amber alert. As Christians, we should always be on amber alert, if not red alert. Not that we have to dwell in fear, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Never forget that. We spoke about that at, uh, when we were talking about Job on, on, on Tuesday. People worry about that little scene room um, where the devil comes in and has a chat with God. I don't worry about that little scene room. What it tells to me, is, or what it says to me, is that the devil has to get God's permission before he can do anything. God is all-powerful. Isn't that good news? <laughs> That's good news. But we must be on amber alert because... The the devil can do nothing about taking away your salvation, but he can render you less effective. And, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but this has been happening in my life over the last few months. Attack after attack after attack after attack. And it's because God wants to do great things in this church and in this town. He wants to do great things in St. Luke's and St. Mark's, Alton Broad. And the best way the devil can derail that is by getting at me. And, and well, and that sounds a bit arrogant, but, you know, it, it, it is actually, you know, the, the devil goes for the leadership. Sanballat and Gesham go to Nehemiah. Because <laughs> if they can get Nehemiah, then the whole project begins to be derailed. So pray for those on the staff team of this church. Pray for those on the PCC and the ministry team. Pray for those who lead youth work and children's work and all the other different areas that we would be defended from the attacks of the evil one. Keep on amber alert. And if we really start growing and we start seeing many conversions and healings and, 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 and a huge work of the Holy Spirit, then lift the alert status to red because the devil will want to stop it. So then, here they come. Oh, yeah, I made it flash. Do you want to see that again? Isn't that good? <laughs> oh, little things, you know. 
Okay, now this actually, I have to say, is my favorite verse in the whole, whole of Nehemiah. Uh, and it's just an accident of translation. But never mind, I'm going to dwell on it because I think it's really good. Because they, they come and they say to Nehemiah, or they send a message to Nehemiah, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of, oh no. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> and I think it's great for all sorts of reasons. So then, let's, uh, let's take a wander on the plains of Oh No, shall we? Opposition in church life. We've talked about some of these things before. Oh No, Vicar. <laughs> we can't do that because it might upset some people. Oh, no. Oh, no, we, we can't do that. Oh, no, we can't do that because we <laughs> tried it in 1923 and it didn't work then. <laughs> oh, no, no, we can't do that. We haven't got the money. We must be good stewards. We can't possibly do that thing. The plains of oh no. Can you think of any others? Think of some oh no's. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear, do we have to get faculties for things? <laughs> right, I'd better go back to the rule book. What are other oh no's? Are there own no's by which the devil seeks to undermine the work of God? Right, okay. And that works both ways, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Um, not here, I'm glad to say. Yes. Oh, no. Noise. <laughs> oh, no, they can't take the pews out. Did you hear that? Uh, that's, uh, I've, I've, I've always said, I think you've heard me say this, you know, you can, preach, you can preach heresy from the pulpit and hardly anybody notices, but you move a pew. <laughs> I'll tell you how to get pews moved. You must, this information must not go out of this church. <laughs> oh, no. I'll tell you how to get rid of pews. You suggest it to Keith. Because I said, <laughs> how easy would it be to take that back pew out there? Because we need to sort of balance up the back of the church and make a bit more space. When I came in the next day, it had gone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's now on the railway platform, all from Broad South. We gave it to Albert because he'd always wanted a pew from the church. <laughs> so there we are. It's easy. Of course, that may end up with a, oh, no. <laughs> They're found out at Diocesan House. Oh, no. I'm not good enough, Lord. Oh, no, I, I can't do that. Ask somebody else. Remember Moses? 
He, he was wandering on the plains of Ono <laughs> when God asked him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Oh, no, I can't speak. Oh, no. Oh, and finally, oh, no, just send somebody else, please, Lord. No, you will go. Plains of oh, no. We say oh, no to all sorts of things in our discipleship. Oh, no, Lord, I've given enough here but no further. Oh, no, Lord, I made myself vulnerable to friendship that last time, and it went wrong. Never again. Never again. We were challenged yesterday by John Fairburn at the men's breakfast. Uh, men, you know, making sure that they had Christian male friends. Because so many men are just, you know, the day he was saying, the day is, a, is just a list of things to get through. And I thought, no, it's not, but hurry up, John, because I've got a load of things to do. So. <laughs> oh, no, to a deeper discipleship that moves us out of our comfort zone. I said, oh, no, to the Holy Spirit for 20 years of my Christian life. And all the while, while we're wandering on the plains of, oh, no, the work of God is hindered and slowed. You see, we wonder why there isn't revival. Well, I'll tell you why there isn't revival. Because God waits until there are enough people on the heights of, oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's an almost like a sort of mathematical formula if there are enough people. Because, you know, don't you think God doesn't want revival? Don't, don't you think God, God so loved the world, it says in the Bible? But we so easily find ourselves on the plains of oh no, because there we can be safe. There we don't have to make ourselves vulnerable. There we don't have to take risks and chances. But as I said, it is only on the heights of oh yes. When we're looking at the will of God, that actually our lives begin to fly in the Holy Spirit and lots of stuff starts happening. That was a prophecy that I was given before coming here. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And God's been challenging me personally about how much I really want that. Can I challenge you? How much do you want that? You see, we've, we've had prophecies lately about the need for this church and the people in it to be really thirsty for God. That there is much, much more just waiting. That this is a direct prophecy that has come. And being given to me. And it's a prophecy that I am sure is correct. But that same prophecy says that we are arid and parched, dry, and we need to be thirsty. You see, the plains of oh no might be comfortable, but they would have been parched and they would have been dry. 
God honors, I know, everything that's happening in our church. And there's so many good things and so many lovely things happening. And people say warm and kind things about us when they come and they feel welcomed. And, And there's much, much activity. But are we thirsty for more? Not more activity, but more of God. More of him. More power in our lives. More healing. More conversion. Well, it's a risky place to go, the heights of oh yes. It's a risky place. And you do take the chance of upsetting one or two along the way. Because many people like things to remain as they are. But I don't know about you. I only have a certain number of years on this planet. I don't know how many there are. I only have a certain amount of years where I will be responsible for the work here. And I don't know that either. And I want to make every day count. And we will not make every day count by wandering onto the plains of oh no. And just trying to keep everyone happy, and by trying to keep everything calm and smooth, because we have to take risks. If Nehemiah hadn't been prepared to take a risk right back in chapter one, none of this would have happened. And it's quite conceivable that the people of Jerusalem could have been killed or taken into captive. We are the people. You know, the, the Jewish people were the people that were meant to reflect God to the wider world. And so here he is surrounding Jerusalem with a wall so that it's safe, and then the temple and people will, will meet with God, and then they were meant to be the example of, of what it's like to have a relationship with God to the rest of the world. So that the rest of the world could come to faith. The problem is the people of Israel missed that message and just wanted to keep God for themselves. The church can do exactly the same thing. Keeping it for ourselves. Because we are now meant to be the people who have the Holy Spirit, who have the message of God, and are meant to show to the world what it is to live and to dwell in a relationship with God. And we won't do that unless we're thirsty for more willing to take risks, and definitely not to go to the plains of oh no, unless it's God's spirit saying no. Well, his reply, his reply is quite brief, really. You see, he says they were scheming to harm me. He knew exactly. How did he know exactly that he shouldn't go to the plains of oh no? These were powerful people. Well, quite simply, he spent time with God. He was close to God, and he knew when things were right, and he knew when things were wrong. Discernment. Spiritual discernment. Pray for it. And pray for people with the gift of discernment to be raised up in our midst, because as we seek to take risks, as we seek to move out into the community more and more and more, we are going to need people of discernment just with that gift 
helping us to know what is right to do and what is wrong to do. Really important. So he knew that. He knew they were scheming to harm him. And he, he, he doesn't sort of then revert to paranoia <laughs> and worrying about it. He just gives this reply. And he doesn't even go himself. He sends messengers with it. It's a great reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Well, you could, these, as I said, these were leaders, political leaders. So he's got a bit of a nerve. But he knows what he is meant to be doing. I am, I am carrying on a great work. I am doing what God has told me to do. If I come down to you to discuss whatever it is you want to discuss, then the work will stop. So I'm not going to. Keeping the vision clear. If I've said this once across Nehemiah 1 to 6, I've probably said it a hundred times. It's why we have a church vision. This is what we are about. This is what we believe God has told us to do. And I like this picture because, you know, it's the indication of, of you know, the vision is somewhere up there, but, but the hand is holding a key. The vision unlocks the way for the work to accelerate and the work to be done. Keeping the vision clear. Now then, they don't give up. They ask four times. They send messengers to try and get him to come and talk. And then there is the fifth. This time, they write a letter. Only it wouldn't, of course, look like that. It would probably look something more like that. And the interesting thing about this letter is... Verse 5, then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Now, first, unsealed. Why? Absolutely. He was hoping that everybody else would read it. It was like putting it on Twitter. Or Facebook, so the whole world can see. Have I got the letter? No. Let me read it. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Well, then it must be. (laughs) Oh, dear. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. This is not true. Let's go on. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. They're raising the stakes now. This is serious. It's an open letter they are saying that Nehemiah is going to become King Nehemiah. What's his boss in Babylon going to make of that? (laughs) He is still expecting Nehemiah to return. These are lies. And they've been written to induce fear. You know that sense of dread in the pit of your stomach? 
Have you had that? When, when something goes wrong or something is said about you that is not true, but that if it's passed on could become really serious and really mess things up for you. That gnawing, you know, uh, hollow, awful feeling. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. If the king back in Babylon got wind of this, he could unleash all his armies coming right across to Jerusalem and the whole place would be razed to the ground and it wouldn't matter about the wall at this stage because the force would be too great. It's a serious stuff. So what does he do about it? What does he do? Well, he is secure in God's will. So he just sends a reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. <laughs> you know, he hits straight back. It would have been so tempting to think, oh, I've got to sort this out. That's what I'd be tempted to do. I better go and see them. Where have they got this from? This isn't true. I better nip back to Babylon and speak to my boss. I mean, if he was sensible, he would immediately write to the the emperor (laughs) if he was sensible and to any of the the kings in the surrounding areas to explain that it it just wasn't true. But, But he grasps it straight away. He doesn't let fear take hold. He deals with it. Sends him a reply. Basically, you know, you're, you're out of your head. You're making it up. You're making it up. And why can he say that? Because he knows what's going on. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Because fear paralyzes, doesn't it? Once you let fear take hold, suddenly you're not able to do anything. Everything gets out of proportion. And, and the devil has you. It's no good. He knew what was going on. Okay. They haven't quite finished. There is the curious case. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just missed the most important bit. <laughs> because he didn't just answer. He prayed. <laughs> you know, he did the right thing. He dealt with the situation quickly and then he prays, strengthen my hands. Let's let's accelerate. Let's get stronger. Let's work at the vision harder. Then, the curious case of Shemaiah. Now, this is a very odd picture. It's the only one I could find. I think Shemaiah is the bloke in the background holding the scroll and going like that. And I'm not sure what Nehemiah looks like. (laughs) Very odd sort of picture. Now, Shemaiah was a prophet, but there were a mixture of prophets. (laughs) There were prophets hearing from God, and there were prophets hearing from elsewhere. And Shemaiah's an interesting character because it appears that Shemaiah has just spent this whole time in his house. In his house. Verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was shut in at his home. And what he basically says, we need to go to the temple, 
we need to lock ourselves in because I happen to know that people are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. <laughs> we find out later that he's been bribed to do this by the same gang that, that have been trying to, to get the work to stop. Now, Nehemiah takes absolutely no notice of it whatsoever. And I, and I think one of the things in this is, and I, I've, I've always done this since I've been a Christian leader, and I'm rather pleased that I've got it right. <laughs> because I won't take, rarely, maybe, but generally I won't take any notice of criticism from people who aren't doing the stuff. Yeah? <laughs> if people aren't prepared to roll their sleeves up and be, be involved in the kingdom of God, then, then I, 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 you know, it might hurt the criticism, but I will not let it deflect me from what we're doing. Now, if people who are busy make, make criticisms, then I'll look at it, and sometimes I'm irritated by it, and uh, sometimes it's right, and sometimes I'm irritated to begin with and then realize it's right two weeks later or, or whatever. But I will look at, at, at criticism or ideas from people who are involved. But I won't from people who are not. Armchair detractors. <laughs> I mean, I'll be polite, and I think he was reasonably polite. Uh, well, I don't know. He said, should a man like me run away? <laughs> or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And then he finds out that the chap's been bribed. Just an interesting little interlude. And... It does mean, it's another reminder to, to leaders in churches that there is, you know, we encourage the prophetic in this church and it's a fairly new thing to have encouraged that over these five years. Uh, but it, it, you know, I, I don't know that prophecy was a gift that was encouraged before. But the, the scriptures speak of discernment. <laughs> And they also speak of the need to test every prophecy, and that's why we do it. And I've just shared a prophecy with you tonight, which I'm absolutely sure is right. So you, you, you test it and you discern it. That's why you need people with the gift of discernment as well as the gift of prophecy. Because you can get people who prophesy stuff that's wrong. But one of the things you do is to look at the life of the prophet. And if it's a guy who's so scared and so lazy that he couldn't move his backside out of his house over the period of the time this wall is being built, then I don't blame Nehemiah for just saying, I'm not going, mate. <laughs> I think you did pretty well to get a pastoral visit from me. <laughs> not coming again, <laughs> miserable old so-and-so. <laughs> Keeping the vision clear not being deflected, but always listening out for the voice of God from those who bring words from God and those who are actively involved in the work. Just a little interlude, but really, really helpful, I think. Okay, so then we get there. The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul on, in 52 days. What a project. 52 days, and they've rebuilt this massive wall. 
with all its towers, and now the wooden gates are in place. And the result of this, all this opposition that's been coming from outside and inside, when our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. If we are cheerfully building the kingdom of God, then Satan flees. Now, he will come back and he will attack, and the attacks continue as you go through Nehemiah in, in different forms. But if we are doing the work of God, then actually, Satan has to flee. That's what the temptation in the wilderness surely teaches us. He has to go. Did the problem stop? No. But the people of God could now function in their area safely with the boundaries set. And then they could do their job, if they chose, of reaching out to the nations with the love of God. Now, sadly, as we read through the Old Testament, that didn't happen very often. And the message to us as church is that, yes, let's get our boundaries set. Let's get our church life right and well-ordered and, and doing things properly. But never forget that we are here, then, for everyone else. That's who we're here for. Well, I suppose the challenge to me is how much do we want this? We're talking about establishing the kingdom of God in all its power in Alton Broad in Suffolk. Now, that's going to take more than 52 days. <laughs> it's a massive project. And the challenge is, are you up for it? You see, Nehemiah didn't have everybody working away at the project. He had a huge number, a good proportion. He didn't have everybody. And in any church setup, you'll never have everybody in, on board with the, the work that you're trying to do. But the bigger you can grow the core of disciples... The more people that are dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and in that place of blessing, the more anointing, in a sense, you're pulling down from heaven and the, the wider the work can grow. How much do you want to be part of that? What sort of thirst have you got for God, because you're going to need that in order to play your part fully. What sort of desires are on our hearts? And are we going to be happy to wander along to the plains of oh no? <laughs> because then we don't have to change too much or take risks. Are we prepared for the fact that 
the more we do God's work, the more we will get opposition from the evil one. And that sometimes will come through people, as it did here. How much? How much? I'm just going to leave that thought with you. Let's hear from those who are listening to God before the service, and then we will have a time of ministry. I've forgotten to bring the other mic. You'll have to use that. Right, the first thing that we have here, um, somebody saw a man standing with shadowy people dancing all around him. A hand came down and squashed all the people apart from the man in the middle. And God is saying to him, trust in me, I will be your salvation. And somebody else had, the way of the wicked will perish. How strong we are in the Lord, we should still be aware of attacks. Um, Somebody else had, God's blessings come down like rain. Uh, Also, hot tingling hands. Anybody with problems with their hands, would they please see somebody for some prayer? Um, Somebody had a picture, a flower like a daisy with a solid yellow center with white petals. The center was just soaking up the warmth and the light being God's love. In other words, just be still and soak it up. Um, Some more words. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We must spend time with him. And one last last thing here. Somebody had a sense of speed, like traffic going too fast, uncontrollable and being swept away. Um, Just completely losing control also some water pouring out and not being able to stop it happening a sense of panic so if any of these things touch anybody tonight then would they please see somebody for some prayer thank you and again thank you for those who uh, listen to God in that time before this service week uh, week by week let's stand now now I've thrown out a fairly hefty old challenge you know, how much do you want more of God? How much do you want to be part of, of the kingdom of God being established in this place? Uh, and I'd like you to sort of think about that as we pray now, as I pray. Um, perhaps we can have some worship music just to, uh, to enfold all that we're doing in worship. Some of you may have already in your hearts had that leap of the Holy Spirit that says, uh, as you heard some of those pictures, some of those words, that yes, that's for me. I need to do something uh, about that. And uh, if that's you, in a moment, you'll have opportunity to go for prayer. So let's wait on God now. We had that phrase from the song in, in those words there. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, and in the name of Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us now. Come down, Holy Spirit, upon your people. And I pray for anybody who is thinking they should respond to one of those words of knowledge or pictures that we had. Uh, If that's you, then in a moment you'll have an opportunity to go for prayer.
Just lay that before the Lord. But now, if you are one who has been playing outside of the boundaries, outside the city wall, and there's something in your life that you need to repent of and to come back in, then God is saying to you now, I love you. Come back in. I want you to dwell in the place of blessing. And you will find it so much easier just to go to someone and and have them pray about that situation with you. But just be affirmed that God forgives you, whatever it is or whatever it was. It can be forgiven, it has been forgiven if you've brought it before God. And don't allow the devil to keep you shackled (laughs) in stuff that can be forgiven. Now, if you're somebody who's perhaps on those planes of oh no, and there's something that is holding you back and you're saying to God, oh no, I can't do that, I won't do that, then God says to you, well then you are shortchanging yourself. And have that dealt with tonight. Or you may be one tonight that simply wants to say, yes, I do thirst for more. Yes, I do want more of you, God. And yes, I do want to see more of your power operating in this area, in my life and in our church. And that you want right now to say, yes, I'm up for it. Now, I'd like you to do that now, if if that is where you are. And perhaps, if it helps you, just raise your hands to the Lord, offering your life and saying, yes, more of you, Lord. I thirst for you. And I want to be part of making your house here, the kingdom of God here, greater. So echo that in your heart. Raise your hands if that's you. Receive from God. Receive from his Holy Spirit. Lord, for those that are taking that step and opening their lives to you now for greater blessing, send your Spirit, I pray. Send your Spirit. Give to your faithful people more power, strengthen our hands, Lord, as Nehemiah prayed, strengthen our hands, strengthen my hands, strengthen all of those hands that are lifted to you now. Come Holy Spirit. Now, God may may be challenging you in all sorts of areas, or you may simply have something that you would desperately like somebody else to pray with you about or for you. So could I ask the ministry team to uh, head down, the prayer ministry team to head down to the back of church now. And please use this time, as we always use it, to do business with God. So if you need prayer for anything, if you need to respond to a word of knowledge, 
or you have just now said something to God and you need to have that affirmed, then go and pray with people who would love to pray with you now. Use this time as is best for you now and as God wants you to use it.